Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Hi, my name is Omar Job Villagrana Arjona, and I am the country director for Compassion Mexico. Thank you very much for all the prayers, for all the support that had been given by the, by the people in Central Street Church in Canada. We are very happy for that, we are very thankful. And uh, I am sure that many families in Mexico has begun that process of transformation, as I'm sure that those uh, persons that are supporting with their sponsorship are beginning to feel a little bit of that process of transformation also in the relationship with the child. Whenever I see that process going on in, in someone, uh, that is something that brings me lots of joy. In Mexico, we have close to 60 million persons living in poverty, and we have around 12 million persons living in extreme poverty. And we know that there are a lot of churches that are willing to serve them, and we feel very happy to work with the church because we know that the Church of God is the answer for, the, for poverty. With the children, we can work when they arrive to the projects, but we know that we have to work also with the parents. So we have worked with the parents in order that they participate in the educational process of their children. Right now, we are close to 50,000 children. Each one of them is a person that is important to God. When a person realizes that they are children of God, their image of themselves begins to be transformed. And that change is very, very important. Thank you very much for all the support, all the help, all the prayers that, that have been uh, given for, for Mexican children. So we are very grateful and happy for that. The theme this weekend is making a difference. CSC, Center Street Church on Mission. And with this in mind, uh, in this sec section of, the, of, of our service this morning, we wanted to bring you some global glimpses of what's happening around the world with trends and our partners and kind of uh, let you know what is happening with the investment in ministry that we are uh, providing here at Center Street Church. Brad, you're the uh, pastor of Global Ministries, and can you please tell us uh, some of the trends that you are seeing around the world, and, and what are you hearing uh, about those trends in your interactions and days as the pastor of Global Missionaries? I would love to. Uh, this is an awesome time to be alive in the world of Global Mission, and some of the trends we're seeing is there's this understanding now around the world that traditional missions has created a foundation for the church to grow. Now, in each culture, we there's many cultures that don't know about Christ yet and don't have access to the gospel. But through our work and through the work of missions in general, we're seeing that those cultures that are not yet quite reached are usually next to a culture that has been reached. So really, at no point in history has every culture in the world been so close 
to actually having a functioning body of believers right next door. So we celebrate that with the Lord. We also notice a big shift to something called tent making. Now this is what the Apostle Paul did. He had a business that actually helped support himself as a missionary. And we're finding many, many young people uh, taking their business and using it to support the works that they are really passionate about. And in fact, uh, we see, I just saw a stat recently this past, uh, about two weeks ago, that up to 69%, up to 69% of people under 30 are willing to travel overseas, take a career overseas in a different culture, if asked. It's that simple. We have an entire army growing to be able to bring the gospel to places that have never been there and using their, their skills as, as business leaders to actually bring the gospel. So the way the world is shaping up, there may be some dark times, but the light of the gospel is only getting brighter, and so we celebrate that, Wayne. Wow. You know, uh, Brad, closer to home as we interact with our partners. So if you didn't know this about Center Street Church, we have over 30 missionaries, over 40 agencies, and over, will be this year, over 100 church partnerships that we work with. And so Brad, what are some of, uh, what are some of the seeings and happenings that are going on within our partnerships around the world? Absolutely. Now, what we have done in the past is we've partnered with churches to be able to help them to kind of become sustainable. Now what we're seeing is so many of these churches around the world are starting to plant more churches in neighboring communities to reach those that they were unable to actually reach. And so we're seeing this happen, and we're, we're being uh, honored that we're able to partner with between 10 and 20 new church plants this year alone. And so we're incredibly excited about that. The gospel is getting out. And we also see a lot more um, missionaries being sent around the world. We see uh, nationally more young people are getting involved in mission. I don't want to steal too much of Pastor Brad's uh, thunder as he shares with us a little bit more Mm -hmm. about what's happening in Quebec. But then locally, as we partner with different agencies here, we're seeing phenomenal, wonderful things. Literally as people are coming into this building that we are sitting in today, And they come in throughout the week to have needs met that they don't know how to meet. They're having an opportunity to meet Jesus, some for the very first time. And folks, people are coming to the Lord in this building every week. So we celebrate that. Praise the Lord. We're able to actually work with partners around the city to help provide needs, to be able to help encourage them. And then as we are able to disciple them out of some of these cycles of poverty or hopelessness, uh, what's happening right now is just phenomenal. Wow. Well, Brad, it was really cool because recently you were uh, blessed enough with some other leaders to go on a trip with Compassion where you were able to meet both our church uh, partners that are doing work in Mexico, but also, on a personal note, you got to meet your sponsor children. And, and what was like, what was your observations of the work that Compassion and we are doing in Mexico, and what was it like for you and your family to meet your sponsor children? Well, this was a life-changing trip for myself. Um, I was grateful that Compassion invited me along, so thank you to Compassion for doing that. I was able to meet two of our uh, sponsored children that my family uh, does sponsor. You can see some pictures behind. That's me meeting uh, Jimena, and I get to sit with her and have a little bit of breakfast. It was wonderful. We didn't speak the same language, but we could look at each other in the eyes and smile, and that was wonderful. Uh, Also, I was able to meet some people that I did not expect to meet. 
I got to meet the children's family. And for me as a father, to be able to look into the eyes of the father of these children and shake his hand, him wondering why I would come from another country to see his own children, uh, this humbled me, but it also gave me incredible passion to continue this work. And so even as I interacted with these children and seeing how compassion works fully through the church, these folks get to hear about Jesus every day, the children and their families. Uh, it was absolutely life-changing for me, and I'm grateful that I got to go. Brad, thanks for spending some time with us this morning. Appreciate you, and uh, we'll look forward to good reports and more things happening in the days to come. Thank you very much, Wayne. Perfect, thanks. Thank you. <clears throat> As we continue on our journey here in our theme of making a difference, uh, our, our guest speaker this weekend is uh, Brad Morris. Brad is, the plant, is our coordinator of planting French churches in Montreal. Brad was with us a few years ago. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to Montreal and to visit Brad's church and interact with him. Uh, Brad primarily speaks in French, uh, but is going to be uh, preaching to us in English today. And when we were looking at this weekend about making a difference, uh, it was very clear to us that we wanted to invite Brad to come and share and to hear about what hit the Lord's laid on his heart. He's an amazing man of God. Him and Emily, his wife, are phenomenal friends with Center Street. And he is your extended family in Montreal. So would you please give our Pastor Brad a warm Center Street welcome. It's all yours, buddy. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Wayne, for that kind introduction. It's great to be with you guys this morning here. Um, I know exactly what you're thinking right now. Man, this guy's English is great. <laughs> How did he learn so well? How is he so fluent? I want to go to the language school he went to. Um, I'm actually an Anglophone. It's my confession. Uh, I grew up in Toronto. My wife and I moved to Montreal and learned French in order to do ministry there and plant churches there. So uh, I'm not a child prodigy. I'm just an Anglo. So that's why. If you heard me speak French, though, then you'd be, then you'd be wondering uh, why on earth this French accent is so weird. But it's all right. God can use anybody. Um, I, I look out here this morning, and, and it's hard to get a sense of the demographics here, but I hope that everyone here has had the privilege of experiencing the Back to the Future trilogy. Okay. Oh, well, maybe not the third one. third one was kind of garbage. But, but the first two... First two movies are some of the best movies ever made. And so I want to quote to you from the inimitable Marty McFly and say to you, I'm back from the future. I am here to you from the future because I am from a post-Christian culture. And I believe it's the future because that's exactly where I think Calgary and the surrounding areas are heading. Maybe that's a strange term, post-Christian culture. What do I mean by that? Well, a, a pre-Christian culture would be a culture or a context where, where the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, has never really been understood or accepted, and, and it needs to be shared. A, a post-Christian culture is very, very different. It's the opposite. It's one where this theological and religious tradition was accepted and had a long history, and that in the intervening years, however, it has since been rejected broadly, and very intensely. That is the situation in Montreal. That's the situation in Vancouver. And it is going to be even more so the situation here in Calgary and the surrounding areas. So I'm here to say 
that my reality will soon be your reality. And to not be a, you know, a fear monger or a prophet of doom, I'm not trying to be a, a guy with a repent the end is near sign or something, but what I am trying to do, hopefully, is to prepare you for what the next few years will hold for churches and Christians in this area. And maybe even, too, to get you a bit excited for that. Because to be honest with you, it's a lot of fun ministering in that kind of context. So with the short time we've got together this morning, I want to do three things. I want us to look together at this problem of a developing post-Christian society. What does that look like? Secondly, I want us to look at uh, who Christians need to become in order to address this problem. And then lastly, I want to look at what Christians need to do to address this problem. So firstly, what is this problem? Uh, Who Christians need to become to do it? And then what Christians need to do? And so firstly, well, what is this problem? What is a post-Christian world look like? Well, um, what's taking place in a lot of areas around the world, particularly in Europe, especially Scandinavia and in Quebec and in Western Canada, uh, Christendom is eroding. Christendom is this social phenomenon where Christianity um, was the majority religion and it received many cultural privileges and benefits and was widely accepted. And yet as the world is growing and has grown more urban, what's happening is that the values and priorities and ideas and beliefs of the great big cities of our world are spreading everywhere. If you want to be really fancy, you can call that secularization where there's been a secularization of society, where there's a move away from anything to do with God. And it's happening everywhere. And so I really hope there's no one here sitting thinking, well, I'm not moving to Montreal or Vancouver, so it doesn't matter. I can just, you know, check my email. Please don't, because that's really rude. And I'd be very offended. No, I'm just kidding. You can't offend me. That wouldn't bother me at all. Believe me, I'll be offending you. It's fine. Um, (laughs) The reason why I would say not to do that is because you might be from Airdrie or from High River. It doesn't matter. These ideas and this influence touches everywhere. Nowhere is exempt. And so it applies to everybody. In a post-Christian society, one thing you see is that people grow hostile to Christianity. So in the old days, Christianity was generally seen as a positive thing. You know, whether you believed it or not, it was a good thing. You know, Christians built hospitals. They built orphanages. It was, it was a good thing. Um, but that has shifted. Now Christianity is seen much more, not just as something that's maybe incorrect or not factual, but now it's seen more and more as evil, as actually a really wicked thing, something that's very destructive, something to be avoided. One of my favorite non-Christian authors, a man by the name of uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, before he, he passed away a few years ago, but before he died, he wrote a great book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. A brilliant, brilliant atheist writer. You can read that and you'll get a sense of of what these ideas are like that people are experiencing. And he makes that argument that religion is the most destructive force our world has ever seen. And we experienced that a little bit personally in our neighborhood. Our church that we've planted a few years ago decided we wanted to help a high school in our neighborhood. Third worst high school on every metric you can think of in the entire province. Huge need. So we go, and they're somewhat interested. But as I announced the project to our church, as God would have it, a journalist was attending our church that morning. She came and she heard this. She wrote a story on it. Within days, it was all over the news, radio, television, internet, everywhere. We had journalists showing up to our house, and all of them were saying the same thing. How dare you? How dare you? sneak into our high schools and prey upon the most vulnerable, 
the most influential, the most um, easily manipulated people we have in our society. How dare you do that? People were indignant. And one of the articles that was written about us, the most cutting and the most biting, the journalist basically said, sure, it's the third worst high school in Quebec. That stinks for those students. But we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We cannot allow Christians into this school. It was, it was in, incredible in its, in its hostility. Christianity is seen more and more as, as something that is evil and to be avoided. Um, the other thing that you'll see is that Christianity is less and less understood. People are more and more ignorant about even what it teaches. You know, in the old days, no matter who you were, you understood a little bit about God, sin. These were sort of generally accepted ideas. Um, but now that backbone is no longer there. My wife was getting her hair cut a few weeks ago, and uh, she mentioned the hairdresser in passing, something about, you know, our church. Um, and the hairdresser said something, I love this. Apparently, she said to Emily, my wife, she said, church, is that like God? And my wife was like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it has much to do with God, actually. And she explained a little bit about that. But I mean, she was starting from zero. This woman had no idea about anything my wife was talking about. There is none of this general understanding anymore. People don't know anything about it, and they don't talk about it anymore. It's a taboo subject in a post-Christian society. Again, my wife and I, we had some friends over, some neighbors for dinner a while back, and uh, it was a great dinner. We were enjoying some great conversations, some good wine. At the end, we started, we got in a conversation about our faith, and uh, uh, the woman, it was a couple, and the woman, she looked at us and she said, well, you know what, I believe in, in some kind of God, a supernatural being. And my wife and I were, we were a little surprised, but we were not nearly as surprised as her boyfriend who heard this. <laughs> her boyfriend sitting there looked at her and said, you do? You believe in a God? These, this couple has been together 10 years. They have two kids. In 10 years, they've never talked about this. It's not spoken of. It's not a topic of conversation. That's what a post-Christian society looks like. And again, my confession here today is that I love this. I love being in this kind of area because you get to be the first person to actually say, you know what, Christianity is not something you inherit from your culture or your parents. It's a personal faith. You get to be the first person to say that kind of thing. It's really exciting. But it certainly is a challenge. And so one of the ways Christians can respond to that is by becoming something or by realizing that they already are something. Here's what that thing is. When you look in the Bible and you look at the first part of the Bible, it's what we call the Old Testament, God's revelation to his people Israel. You notice something very interesting. You notice that the mission strategy in the Old Testament was very clear. It was come and see. Let's build the biggest temple, the most beautiful ornate temple with the finest decorations. People will come and they will see who our God is by how unique we are and by how beautiful our temple is. And it's great. But then you turn a few pages and you get to the second portion of the Bible, we call the New Testament, and you see there's been a transition. It's no longer just come and see. Sure, there's an element of that, but the emphasis has changed. The emphasis is now on go and tell. And in Romans 10, Paul writes about this exact idea, and he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on this name unless they've heard it? And how can people hear it unless people are sent to speak of it? That's the essence of the New Testament church. Go and tell. Not just come and see, but go and tell. And so a New Testament church like this beautiful one here 
needs to be a church that doesn't just wait for people to come to us, but actually goes to people where they are. And what... <laughs> this happened this morning and I didn't know what to do. In 10 years of Montreal, no one's ever clapped before. They don't clap like that. So I was like, what do I do? Do I bow? Do I like... <laughs> I was so lost. It totally threw me off. I just, I'm not used to that. But um, yes, indeed, those are good points. Um, <laughs> It's so funny. I just, I'm not a fish out of water here. What, <laughs> what, do you, what do you call that? What do you call someone who's sent? What do you call somebody who is sent forth with a message? Well, well usually we call that person a missionary. And, and that's the radical idea behind a New Testament church is that every Christian, every person who loves Jesus and follows Jesus is a missionary. Somebody sent with a message. A guy much more hardcore than me, a, a Baptist preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century, he said it in a much more harsh way. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Hey, that's, a, <laughs> that's pretty intense. Not a lot of wiggle room there. It's true. It's true, though. Every Christian is a missionary. They just maybe, they just maybe collect their salary from a different place. You know, maybe on Wayne's paycheck, it says Center Street Church. Maybe on your paycheck, it says uh, CP Rail, and on yours, it says TELUS. But the job description, my friends, is exactly the same. Sent with a message to talk about Jesus. In fact, if you are a Christian, you are as much a missionary to wherever you are right now as you would be if you and some friends packed up and went to China to reach some unknown village in the, in the middle of rural China. You know, if you did that, you'd, you'd have a much greater sense of your missionary. But why do we forget that we are, even if we are here in Calgary or Montreal or Vancouver, as much a missionary in that sense? But what does that look like? What does it look like to be a missionary in Calgary or, or in Montreal? Well, I'll give you two quick things. One thing it looks like, guys, is it looks like having a life that is profoundly intertwined with those of people around you who don't know Jesus. This is what Paul did. Paul was amazing at this. He was in this city called Thessalonica, and that's what he did. In fact, he writes about it in his letter to these people. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We didn't just share the gospel with you. We shared our whole lives. We lived with you. We did everything with you. Do you know what? You could be surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. At work, and in your neighborhood and, and, and on your hockey team, but you can also not be at all involved in their lives. You could be totally surrounded by them without being involved in their lives at all. So let me ask you a tough question. Are you always just with Christians in your lives? Are you part of a Christian hockey league? Are you part of a Christian bowling group or a Christian reading club? Listen, those aren't bad things in and of themselves. But you need to be able to say, along with Paul, we shared our very lives with you. Sharing our lives with people who don't know Jesus. You know, Jesus was mocked, and one of the ways that people mocked him is they called him a friend of sinners. Now, we know the Bible teaches we're actually all sinners, we're all broken people. But when people made fun of Jesus that way, what they were saying is this guy hangs out with people that are not very moral. They have disreputable lives. They are not the kind of people you'd see, you know, in a, in a, in a synagogue. And they said, he's a friend of sinners. And I love that they call them a friend of sinners. A friend. Not, to, to Jesus, these people he was with weren't just contacts, 
You know, they weren't targets. They were friends. You know, a friend is someone who calls you when things are going bad. A friend is someone who calls you when they need to move. <laughs> you know, I think my, my favorite definition of what is a friend, a friend is someone who calls you and invites you to their house for dinner. That's a friend. Do you have friends like that that don't know Jesus? There's a young couple in our church named Philip and Catherine. And Philip and Catherine called my wife and I a few weeks ago and said, hey, can we borrow your car? Uh, you know, we live in the city. We don't really drive very much. We barely use it. Yeah, sure, of course. Where are you guys headed? And they said, oh, we're going to our neighbor's cottage for the weekend. I was like, man, that's a friend, <laughs> you know? Invited to your cottage for a weekend? That is a close friendship. I was so touched and I was so proud of them. They built that friendship with their neighbors. Their neighbors weren't just people they have to live around or people that happen to be near them. They became their friends. It was amazing. Maybe you're hearing me and you're thinking, yeah, you know, that sounds good, but it sounds a little dangerous too, you know? <laughs> Isn't it dangerous? What if we get too influenced by the world? You know, what if, what if it leads me down a bad path? You know what? I actually will say there's, there, there's some truth to that. It requires wisdom and it requires prudence for sure. I mean, if you're a recovering alcoholic, going to the bar is not a great idea, you know? And I, and I mean that very sincerely. It, it does require wisdom, but it doesn't require separation. And that's a lot of what I see. You know, Jesus called his people to separate themselves, not physically, but spiritually. To be different in, in how they live, absolutely. Be very different, be separate in that sense, but not physically. To do it among people. So that's what a missionary looks like. Like lives deeply embedded with those who don't know Jesus. A second thing that a missionary life looks like is something even more simple. It looks like being incredibly hospitable. Hospitality. Having people in your home who don't know Jesus. Having a meal together. Having a barbecue together. Watching the hockey game together. Hebrews 13 says, Let brotherly love continue. And do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You might know that the Greek word there for brotherly love is the word Philadelphia, just like the city. Brotherly love. But the next word there is philoxenia. Not love of brothers, but love of strangers. Loving strangers, loving outsiders. Not just tolerating them, but loving them. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, yes, love your brothers and those are like you, in the church, but also love the strangers and the outsiders that aren't part of it and have them in your home regularly. You might know that Paul writes about requirements for elders in the church, leaders, and he says all sorts of things like needs to be able to teach and have good doctrine and all these things. Do you know that in those lists, it also says be hospitable? An elder must be hospitable. It's a requirement. This isn't just a side thing. We, 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 I think we neglect that a lot. It's a requirement for leadership in the church to be hospitable because they need to be an example for everybody else. Hospitality, having people in your home, to watch a hockey game, to play a board game. I know for you now, it's a little bit harder. There's no flames in the playoffs. <laughs> but you can watch another team, I'm sure. There are other teams that are available. Um, I can relate, actually. The Habs were eliminated, so I, I don't stand before you as a superior man. Although we weren't swept, though, so I must say, at least we... <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. You know what? So far, nobody has killed me for saying that. You are very kind people. I, I totally expected a brick to my head, at least once. 
at least once, but that doesn't happen yet. Um, before the halves were eliminated, before, um, I had a couple guys over, uh, Jean-Sebastien and Stéphane. We were watching the game. And then after the game, we were chatting a little bit and we ended up talking about, you know, my faith that came up. And we were talking for a little while. It had been about seven minutes. And, and Stéphane, he stopped us. And he was like, stop, 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 stop. I'm like, oh, okay, is everything okay? And he goes, this is the longest I've ever talked about religion with anyone in my whole life. And I was like, uh, did you, do you want me to stop? <laughs> is this okay? He's like, no, no, it's fine. This is really weird. And I was like, yeah, that is pretty weird. But he was fine with it. Now, Stefan didn't become a Christian at the end of the night. We, we, we talked in only, you know, superficial terms about a lot of these things. But it was a start. It's going to take a lot more time. He's going to be my friend for a long time. It's a very long-term thing. But that's how simple it is. That's what I think is the secret to evangelism in a postmodern world. It's just being hospitable. Having people over. Because, my friends, inviting people to your church here is good. Don't get me wrong. It's good. But inviting them into your home is better. Because the best evangelist for your friends is not your pastor. And it's not Tim Keller. And it's not John Piper. And it's not Rick Warren. It's you. <laughs> and it's me. We are the best possible people to talk about Jesus with our friends. Because we know them. We love them. We're in their lives every day. Don't shortchange yourself and give someone else that privilege when it's yours. Inviting them to church is good, but inviting them into your home is better. Invite them over and be authentic. Be authentic. Talk about the things that you love and don't love. You know, talk about your favorite Netflix show. Talk about how much you despise the Oilers right now. I know you hate them a lot and you have reason to right now. Talk about that. Talk about, talk about that you love Jesus. These things will come up naturally. You know, my generation, we are obsessed with authenticity. You have to be transparent and real. Well, you're not being authentic if you hide the most important part of who you are. All that stuff should come out, come out naturally. And those two friends, Jean-Sebastien and Stéphane, they appreciated that I was being authentic with them with what I believed. They didn't believe it right away, but they really appreciated it. You know what a post-Christian world needs right now? It doesn't need new programs and exciting strategies. Those aren't bad things. But what a post-Christian world needs more than anything is more missionaries. More ordinary, average Christians like you and me that see themselves as full-time missionaries. That's what it needs. Lastly, what do Christians need to do? What's the second response to this crisis, to this challenge? Well, you see, historically... As, the, as societies have become more and more post-Christian, churches respond in one of two ways. You see this everywhere. As society becomes more post-Christian, churches either tend to accommodate to the society or they isolate themselves. They either accommodate to the society, and in, in that sense I mean they, they adopt the values and the beliefs of the society. So they will reject the things that might offend people like miracles or the Bible and the church in an effort to gain the love of the society. They accommodate or they isolate themselves. That's the second response. You see that much more with more fundamentalist churches. They're hemorrhaging people. Everyone's leaving. So they just batten down the hatches, right? Let's just protect ourselves. We can't lose anyone else. And they, and they seal themselves off from the society. They become this hermetically sealed, you know, bubble where no one can get in. Those are the two approaches you tend to see. But God puts forth to his people a third approach. He says, neither of those are good, but he gives a third way forward for his church. 
Through the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, people who are experiencing a situation very much like ours, here's what he says in Jeremiah 29. God says to these people, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray for it, love it, serve it. This is what God's church is called to. Not just to live in the culture and tolerate it, biding our time till Jesus comes back and swipes it all away, you know, and destroys it and secretly resenting it and hating it. God says, no, that's not the way to do it. He said, loving it, seeking its well-being and serving it. That's the third way. Is it hard? Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. It was really hard for us to get kicked out of that school. It was really hard for us to lose money, to lose momentum, to lose growth. We're a young church plant. It was a really, really hard thing to deal with. But you know what God calls me to do as I look at that school and those journalists and the people who are against us? In the words of a buddy of mine, a pastor that I love how he says this, what I'm supposed to do is to love the city that will never love me back. That's what he says. Love the city that will never love you back. Unrequited love. That's the calling of a Christian. You see, a lot of people come to the city to use it and exploit it, right? They come to the big city to have fun or to build their resume or to study to advance their career. And the funny thing is a church can do that too. A church can do it too. Settle down in a big city and use the city and exploit the city to grow a great big church, to grow their name and their fame. But God says that's not the way. The way forward is to serve it, to serve and love the city where I've placed you. He says, there's that weird sound again. Do you guys hear that? What's that? That crazy sound. I don't know what that is. Um, later on in the Bible, uh, the, the, uh, the apostle Peter, he writes something very, very similar to people. He says, beloved, I urge you to abstain from sin. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, among the people who don't know Jesus around you honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, like we had with the school, they'll see your good deeds and they will glorify God on the day he comes. And I love the balance there. He says, no, don't accommodate, right? He says, stay deeply different. But he also says, don't isolate either. He says, go deeply in, right? Be among the people that, that don't know Jesus. And I love that balance. Stay deeply different, but go deeply in. That's what a New Testament church is to look like as servants. Be servants so that the people will see your good deeds and will glorify God. What does it look like to be servants in cities like these, like Montreal and Calgary? Well, on a very personal level, on an individual level, it's as simple as being a great neighbor and a great colleague, the best neighbor and best colleague you can be. Knowing them, loving them, caring for them, being there for them. You know, Augustine used to say that the citizens of the heavenly city should be the very best citizens of the earthly city. Now, why do you think that is? That's because Christians have this crazy idea that this life here is not their only chance at happiness and fulfillment. Christians have this crazy idea that when they die, they're going to go to this place called heaven and be with God, and they're going to experience perfect happiness, infinite delight, infinite fulfillment. And so if that's true, 
They don't need to keep it all now. They can sacrifice some happiness. They can sacrifice some pleasures. They can sacrifice some fulfillment because they know the best is still to come. And they can hold those things with an open hand. But if that's not true, if this is our only life, if this is our only chance at happiness, screw your neighbors. Are you kidding? You have as much fun as you can. Forget it. Time is short. You got 70, 80 years if you're lucky. So go have fun, live for yourselves, and forget everyone else. Let's pray. No, because... (laughs) Because we don't think that's true. Christians actually believe this isn't their chance, their only chance for happiness and for fulfillment. And so we can hold these things with an open hand and give them away. Because you know what? You don't care that much about the hamburger when you know that you have steak coming. That's how Christians can act with the people around them. They don't need to keep all these things for themselves. What about on a community level? What about with everyone else in your church? Well, one thing that we did in our church is each of our missional communities of our small groups has decided to adopt a local organization that's already doing great stuff. And we approach them and we say, what can we do to help you guys? We actually approach them and we say, we're here to do what no one else is going to do. What's your, what's your dirtiest job? What's your grossest job? What does no one else want to do? Okay, that's pretty gross. But okay, we'll do that. <laughs> okay, sure. And, and we do that because we think that's what Jesus would do. We're not here for ourselves. We're here to serve you. That's what you want? Okay, we'll do that. Right now, my missional community, we're serving at an organization that helps single-parent families, and it's mostly single mothers. And do you know what those single mothers say to us? The very first time we go to serve, your first night there, every lady there says the exact same thing to the volunteer for the first time. They always say, "Um, are you just here for tonight? Why? Because they've seen countless volunteers come and get their fix one evening and get their feel-good moment and then never come back again. And these women don't want to open themselves up and get to know someone who's just going to disappear again. So what we get to say to them is say, no, we're actually here for the long term. We're going to be here for a while. We're going to walk with you through your hurts and your sufferings and we're going to be friends to you. We're going to serve you and love you. And they might not believe me right now that we're going to do that, but they're going to see it in the years to come. I know that this great church is doing lots of stuff. They have their own programs. They have lots of stuff. Is it something that you're involved in? In what way are you living as a servant among the people that God's called you to? Let me ask you a really tough question. Are you currently loving and serving the place where you are right now, or are you just using it for fun and career advancement? You know what? You know what's funny about this? As you sacrificially love, care for, and serve your neighborhood and your city, a funny thing takes place. You end up getting the gospel impact that you've been dreaming of. That's the funny thing. You know, I'll give you a great example, a really great example, a very old example. In the year 250, in the Roman Empire, a plague hit, devastating plague. Historians say that 5,000 people were dying every single day. It was devastating. And so in these great cities in the Roman Empire, what did we see? But people were evacuating the cities as fast as they could. They were just running out. They were leaving children. They were leaving mothers and grandmothers. They were just getting out because they didn't want to die. With one exception, one group of people didn't do that, the Christians. Historians tell us that the Christians ran into the cities in great number and they cared for the sick and the dying and they held their hands with these plague victims and Christians died at an even greater rate than the greater population. It was devastating to the Christian population. And yet, historians say that within a hundred years, Christianity became the most influential religion in the Roman Empire. 
Why do you think that is? I'll tell you why. Because a culture hostile to the gospel will not want to hear you as a missionary until they see you as a servant. Emperor Julian hated Christianity and he saw this happening. He wrote a letter to one of his buddies and this is what he said, his critique of Christianity. He says, look, can't you see that nothing has contributed to the progress of Christianity like their charity to strangers? Can't you see they provide not only for their own poor but for ours as well? He was so angry. He's like, oh, those Christians, they're so kind. Hate them. They're such, such good servants. Ah, they're making us look bad. Worst, it was the worst thing he could say to them and about them was what great servants they were. And people took note and the Christian movement exploded. That's it. That's what Jesus says. The way forward is through service. The way to gain power is by losing it. Christians are called to be missionary servants. And you know what? The beautiful thing about this, all this stuff I'm talking about, is that it's pretty simple, right? I mean, in one sense, anyone can do it. This isn't something reserved for some elite class of super Christian or for people only in full-time ministry or pastors. This is for anyone and everyone. It's simple. But it's not easy. It's not easy. But you know what? I have good news. In fact, I have the greatest news. Do you know, the central message of the Bible is not do this, do this, do this. Is that what you think it is? The central message of the Bible is not do this, do this, do this, but rather Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus was the one who showed us hospitality first by inviting us to eat at his table even though we didn't deserve it. Jesus was the one who showed love to us, his enemies who were hostile to him and showed us a love we didn't deserve. And you see, until your heart is captured by what Jesus did for you, you'll never be able to do these things. It will always seem like a big, heavy burden and it'll crush you and press you down. The key to showing hospitality to people that are hard to love is by first having your heart melted by God's hospitality to you. The key to serving others at great cost to yourself is to first marvel at how Christ has served you at infinite cost to himself on the cross in his death for you. You know, on the cross when he died, some of the last words Jesus ever said, in fact, my three favorite words in the whole Bible, it is finished, is what Jesus said. And do you know what that means? Friends, that means that we don't need to do these things I'm talking about so that God will keep loving us and keep blessing us. No, we do them because he's already loved us and blessed us. So it's a joy. It's not a burden. If you do these things as some way to prove yourself to God, please accept me. Here I am. Look how good I am. It will never work. It will break your back and it will crush you under its religious demands. All this stuff here, guys, it's not the price you pay to be a good Christian it's the response of the grateful Christian to the infinite price Jesus already paid. And that's the thing that changes everything. That is worth clapping about. And you know what? The good Christian, there's no such thing as the good Christian. There's only a good Christ. And to the degree that you have your hearts melted by what he's done for you, and for me, we can be the missionary servants that our cities need now, and especially that they're going to need in the future. Let's pray. Father, it is our 
deep desire to, to become this, to be these missionary servants. But we realize that it's impossible for us. We realize that it's outside of our reach. And I guess in a sense, we thank you that it is because it means we have to depend on you and fall on our knees and lean on the Holy Spirit so that we can do what is beyond us. So thank you for giving us this that is beyond our grasp. Help us to see you taking our place on the cross and to be so overwhelmed with gratitude for your forgiveness and your love that out of the joy that overflows would be these missionary servants to the people around us. Make that change in our hearts and lives, we pray, for the good of the people around us that we love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like at the end, I'll be at a table in the atrium. Um, We have some prayer cards that would introduce you more to our ministry and you could sign up for our mailing list to get some more updates on what God's doing in Montreal. Guys, thank you for having me here. It's been a privilege, appreciate it. Mike fell off. <laughs> so as we kind of reflect on what Brad has, has uh, challenged us with today, the interesting thing is that as we become these missionaries, as we become those that are going to serve our communities, uh, it's also interesting that um, unlike some other churches, perhaps, there's still a lot of folks that are coming to Center Street. As Brad mentioned, we're having people walking in our doors on a regular basis. I was talking to one person who actually was trying to minister and serve in their community, and there wasn't a lot of response to it. But then they came to the church here and invited some people that they met, you know, in the community that were here, and they started to find that connection. Friends, you know, as as a as the executive pastor over Global Mission, it is my hope and prayer that we commission 7,000 missionaries. 7,000 missionaries, which is our church family here at Center Street. So as we close, would you, would you stand with me? As Pastor Henry has, has uh, led the example for us, I mean, I want to encourage you just to, to outstretch your hands. And those two questions that he asks on a regular basis... What is the Lord saying to you? See, in John chapter 10, verse 27, we see that the sheep hear my voice, which is our calling card, friends, to be listening to what God is saying to us. And this first question he asks us is, what is the Lord saying to you in response to what Brad's challenged us with? The second thing is, is that what are you feeling that the Lord's asking you to be part of? In those simple examples that Brad gave about loving your neighbors, right? There is no good Christians. There's a good Jesus. And out of our love for that, we become that missionary in our community. So take a moment and then I'll pray and I'll close. And if anyone has a prayer request or wants to speak to somebody after we have prayer partners up here that would love to pray with you. So let's spend a few moments in closing to see what the Lord has to say to us. Holy Spirit, continue to speak to your sons and daughters today. And Father, I pray that they would also now hear what you're asking them to do in obedience and out of love for you.
Merciful God, we thank you for this morning and this reminder from your servant of our call to be on mission, to serve the city and to serve the communities that you have placed us in for such a time as this, that you invite us into your kingdom purposes by speaking to us and challenging us and inviting us to be part of your redemption in the world. So Father, as my friends and family here wrestle with what you're speaking to them about and what they're gonna do about it, I pray, God, that you would give them that overwhelming peace in their heart that you are wanting to use them and that you love them and greater is he that is in them than he is in the world. So Father, as they depart from your house today, I pray, oh God, that your spirit would fall fresh on them. And the interactions this week with those who are searching for you but don't even know that would come out. And that you would immobilize, Father, 7,000 people to be your ambassadors in this city and around the world. So we thank you for meeting us. Thank you for this day, Lord. I pray that you'll bless and keep your people and make your face to shine upon them, be gracious to them, and provide for them, oh God. We thank you in advance of what you're going to do. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings upon your day. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 